Hello? Oh, man, I think that's Phineas. Hold on one sec. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, Phineas is here. He's going to hang out in the kitchen for just a couple minutes. <sighs> this episode of Tune on Toast is brought to you by Hammer Toyota out there in Mission Hills here in Southern California with the 5405 180 meet. Hammer Toyota, they're the best. Talk about a loyal company and great human beings. Their number one goal, and all companies should do this, is to make the customer happy. They treat you like a rock star. Uh, I've been with them as a customer for eight years. We've also been working together for eight years. Johnny, he's become a good friend of mine. He's the general sales manager. We went to go see System of a Down in Corn a couple nights ago in Vegas. But my goal was to like take care of the plane ticket and the hotel. Next thing I know, this dude pays for the plane ticket and then, I don't know if it's because I have a misshaped head, he's like, Stryker, we're going to get haircuts. <laughs> we're going to get haircuts at the same time while we're in Vegas. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Hammer Toyota. It's where you should get your car, uh, trade in your car, get money for your car. You have a, probably a vision of what uh, car dealerships are like. This place is the exact opposite. Again, the website is H-A-M-E-R, HammerToyota.com. Let's get to the podcast. <laughs> Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah. 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 Tuna on toast. Tuna on toast featuring Phineas. He's going to join us in just a couple minutes. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for spreading the word. If this is your very first time, we all welcome you. It's a very small community. We get together once a week. I get to interview and hang out with some of our favorite artists. It really is like a 45 to 50 minute emotional ride. Hey, your guy Ted Stryker here has been very active the last seven days. The previous year and a half, I mean, I really didn't go anywhere. But I want to share this with you and then get into something specific because I have one specific question for you. And if you do know the answer, I want you to DM me the answer. But first of all, my last seven days was the following. I take none of this for granted, by the way. I had a chance to do these activities and I went. Dave Grohl Storytellers in LA. It was a 10 out of 10. Then I got on a plane and this has been planned for a while. Went to go see System of a Down in Corn in Las Vegas. Then I got on a plane, came back to LA and I took my wife to go see the Rolling Stones at SoFi Stadium. That's where the LA Rams and the LA Chargers play. It's our new stadium in Los Angeles. And it's absolutely beautiful. I was so fired up to come in here on the podcast before Phineas jumps on and tell you about playing the Wheel of Fortune slot machine in Vegas and what the flight was like and talk about Shavo from System and Jonathan Davis from Corn and that whole experience. But I'm going a different direction. This is about the Rolling Stones. When I tell you this, you're going to be like, Stryker, what the hell is the matter with you, you dumbbell imbecile? Before three years ago, I didn't care about the Rolling Stones. And the reason is we never listened to that band in my household growing up. And that, that's, that's totally fine. That, maybe that happened to you. But also my friends and I never, ever listened to the Stones. Three years ago, I got tickets because I wanted to see them before potentially would be their last show ever. So I went to the Rose Bowl and it was a very moving experience. From that day forward, I've done my own deep dive on this band. I mean, even 25 years ago, what an idiot I was saying, how are these guys still doing shows? 25 years ago, they were somewhere between 50 and, and 55 years old. This show in LA that I went to, it was their 49th show in Los Angeles. Rest in peace, Charlie Watts. He was 80 years old. But Mick Jagger is 78. Keith Richards is 77. And Ronnie Wood is 74. If you're thinking, ah, uh, they just probably just stand there like statues on stage. No, they move around so they move around way more than I can move around. And I'm a lot younger than those guys in the Rolling Stones are. This band is amazing. And this is my question for you. I don't think it's an obvious answer. How is this band in 2021 able to pull in 50,000 people or more at every single show that they do? The obvious answer that I know you're going to give me is, well, Stryker, they've got to 500 incredible songs. Yes. These guys have a ton of legendary songs, great songs that will live on for much longer than we are going to be. Like, as long as the earth is earth, their songs are going to live. 
I'm not saying there's other song, other bands that have that many great songs, but there are a lot of bands, and you know that you have seen them play, that, that go play at a casino nowadays in front of 150 people. What is it about the Stones that they can still do this? I mean, I think one of the reasons is the intimacy factor. Mick Jagger made it seem like he was singing to each individual person out there. Also, as big as they are, you know, maybe the best and biggest band in the history of music, there was still like a little bit of like humble, a humble quality to the band, while also we all knew that we will never ever be as cool as those guys. If you have a chance to see the Rolling Stones, you got to go do it. And if you're looking to get uh, merch, do it during the middle of the show quickly. After the show, we were like, oh, we're going we're gonna to go buy ourselves a, a shirt and maybe a bandana and a hoodie. The line was like Space Mountain on July 4th at Disneyland. It went around and around and around and around and around. We got in the line. After 45 minutes in the line, we're nine people away from the very front. I can see the shirt that I want. My wife sees the hoodie that she wants to get. And then this lady yells, all right, uh, everything is gone except the petite size. Now, my wife can wear a petite, but in hoodie, she likes, I think, a medium or something. And I said, can we just please go? And she said, yeah, okay, let's go. So overall, just a wonderful experience, although we didn't get the merch we were looking to get. All right, let's bring out a dude. He has 50 more years or more to go in his career. But the way he speaks now, he's a super intelligent guy when it comes to music and just life overall. You would think he's been in the business for 40 to 50 years. His brand new album was just released called Optimist. He's an eight-time Grammy Award winner. Please welcome Phineas. Phineas. <laughs> you have a beautiful house, man. I feel honored to be here. Thanks Thank for having you. me today. Thanks so much for coming over here. Of course. As we are doing this today, it was just released. I love every second of it, of this album. Oh, thank you. It's the first album in mm -hmm. years and years and years that I've listened to where I believe every word counts. Oh, man. Thank you. It's almost like subtitles on a TV show. <laughs> if you're watching a foreign film, if you look down and eat your cereal or your food, you you're miss gonna, the scene. You, yeah, you're, you're going to miss something. And it also seems like yeah. these songs would be very difficult to memorize. Yeah, that's it's that's a little bit true. We've we've only done I think three shows, and most of these songs we've been rehearsing. We're about to start this tour and play a bunch of them, but they have been harder to memorize than the old stuff. And even in recording these songs. I had the lyric. It normally, by the time I'm recording songs, I've, they're old news to me. I know all of them. But this this album, I had like a lyric sheet in front of me for all these because it was really specific. To release all these songs, did you yeah. have to get to a place emotionally to get to this place you are professionally? <laughs> it's a good question. I, I don't know if this is necessarily like the right answer for this question, but you know, I have been sort of mulling over. It's a pretty confessional album and a little melodramatic, I guess, in some ways, and and definitely sort of like honest and transparent about being anxious and being nervous a lot of the time and everything I'm worried about. But that's kind of how I am as a person. I think if it were, you know, if my if I was putting on a front as a person, and I was very hardcore. This album would shock all my friends and family. But I'm I'm the way that I am on this record, off the record. So I think in that way, the thing that would be inauthentic would be making an album that wasn't you know, super emotional and right. um, sort of vulnerable. There is a vulnerability there, but also I really appreciate the patience you have with each song. You don't rush it. Oh, You're thanks. not singing a certain part of the song just to get to some maybe uh, even more catchy <laughs> parts. Is that hard to do as a producer, songwriter, performer when you're in the studio? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's, I don't love like indulgent stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was, this is a very weirdly specific example, but there's a, a song on this album called Happy Now, and there's like one little- Track three on there. Track three. And there was a, there's one little like instrumental break right before the I whistle in that song. And there was like a part where it was like a little drum beat. And it was just too long. So I just cut it in half and was like, yeah, great. Let's, let's truncate. And I'm never above doing that. I think it's all sort of like not sacrificing the thing I love about the song for some- ungovernable uncontrollable like oh is it gonna be a hit or not you know what i mean like I, I i sort of have this feeling especially with like radio edits and stuff i'm like yes i'm like oh please like 
you know if <laughs> if they need to make an edit of this song they'll make an edit of this song i don't need to make the edit of this song you know what i mean I was listening to Beck Where It's At yesterday. So good. And the non-radio version is the one I was listening to. And every time I was about to sing in my car the next verse, there was like 20 <laughs> more, more seconds of the music. Because you know the radio edits. So yes. Well. Yeah, exactly. well, we all kind of do. I mean, we, you know, we just did that with um, uh, Happier Than Ever, the song from Billy's record, where we put out a version that's just the last two minutes of it, you know? And I... I love the full song and the and the full song, you know, other people love that full song too, but I I also am like I'm not opposed to giving people access to just like, oh, if you want to turn on just the last 2 minutes and you don't want to, you know, always scrub to hear that part, like I I'm not above that. I get it. At the end of the day, it's all I really just want people to enjoy the music and I don't want to make that hard for people, harder than it already is. It feels like a timeless record. It Thanks, feels man. like you're welcome. It feels like it could have come out maybe in like the 50s or 60s, but it's also perfectly well-created with the words and the way that you sing them and the music behind it, that Thank it you. fits in for 2021. Thanks, man. I mean, there's definitely like a couple exceptions to that. You know, I guess the 90s is pretty modern production, right. whatever. Yeah. But truth be told, like, I think even that production will probably age pretty well because it's very simple. Um, I think like what tends to not age very well in terms of production is like overly complicated stuff right and it's it's funny the other caveat is the stuff that seems to not age super well is the most popular stuff because it because we imprint that period of time with that thing yeah. Do you know what i mean i've been thinking about that a lot lately of like are these huge pop albums from 2005 really aging poorly or do they just sound like 2005 to us do you know what i mean or is it that the the people that we were in 2005 we're not even close to that person anymore no that's also true i was um what was i doing recently that was like oh i was <laughs> my girlfriend and i watched do you remember that summer i think it was summer of 2011 when friends with benefits and no strings attached came out the ashton kutcher timberlake yes movies. <laughs> And they're this exact same plot. Yes. And they came out like two months apart. Yes. And I think they both were called Friends with Benefits. And then one of them changed their name. Right. Um, dude, we were in a... I was watching those movies the other day. And I was like, how did they get away with this? Like, these are so bad. I was like, we were in such a clearly more optimistic time. Like, right. This was such a acceptable... Th like, just Is your that point the of Ashton like, Kutcher with Cameron Diaz in Vegas? No, oh. that's called What Happens oh. in Vegas. Okay. The, it's Ashton Kutcher and um natalie portman okay. now in their age that one has aged way better in All my right. opinion it was written by like elizabeth merriweather who did new girl and yeah. she, i love that yes. show so yeah she's really talented and the other one is just atrocious but my point being i was like wow we just as a people were just down for this <laughs> like we let them get away with this we'd be we we're like we're happy would. with everything we're and didn't so question so cynical and bitter about yes. everything now this light-hearted like woody harrelson jumps off a bridge onto a boat <laughs> and dr and drives his boat back to jersey and he's like i live in jersey <laughs> we would never that's unacceptable that's not real life but the most embarrassing thing, I don't know if this happens to you as well, in my relationship, babe, you got to hear this song or watch this movie. Trust me. It meant so much to me back in 1998 or 2004, and then we put it on, and it's I haven't trash, watched it in a long yeah. time. Phineas, it stinks. Yeah, yeah. It I know. just stinks. I know. I, I definitely did that growing up a fair amount of like. You know what? This actually broke my heart a little bit. I'm I'm like a Lord of the Rings kid. Like I love Lord of the Rings. Okay. And my buddy David has never seen any of them. And I was like, let's watch them. Like we were hanging out one night. And I was like, they're long as fuck. We'll just watch half of one. And it's so like, I am Gloin, son of Thorolin. And it's on the violin of Aothin and the Benethin or the Benethin. And I was like watching it through the through my own 2021 eyes of cynicism. Yes. And I was like, sorry about all this. Like, this is not very cool. Like you, there's a lot of like, acceptance in in our sort of youth of like sure cool and you get older and you're like that's really pretentious or i do i've definitely sort of like become uh embittered you're more of a guy who leans towards the pessimist side aren't you <laughs> yes yeah way more than an yeah. opti guy's yeah. optimistic yes i mean that was sort of the the 
reason behind naming this album Optimist, there's this line in the first song of like, I guess I'm an optimist. But the real sort of reason I thought it fit these songs was I think that in my life experience, optimism is like to be strived for. I don't, it's not a predisposition for me personally. And uh, I know a lot of people for whom it is, and that's great. But to me, it's like pessimism often is like an excuse for me to not try to do something. Oh, like that's you not, throw in the towel before it even that's happens. not going to work out or whatever. Mm. And I, I've often said, you know, this past 18 months of, of sort of lockdown, <laughs> not to throw our team under the bus, but we'd have a call every eight weeks about a tour that was definitely not going to happen. And it was all like, you know, we came home in March when everybody came home. Right. March of 2020. Yeah. And then two weeks later, they're like, okay, so <laughs> starting October 1st of 2020, we're, we got a tour all over the United States and then we'll go to Europe, and whatever. Any questions? And I would be like, yeah, what are you smoking? Like, there's, <laughs> this is not going to happen. And then October rolls around and they're like, all right, February 2021 tour. We're going to go on tour February 2021. Do you guys want to start in oh, Singapore or do you want to start in Jakarta? <laughs> Where do you want to start? And I'm like, who cares? This isn't going to happen. And unfortunately, that's just because I'm pessimistic. I happened to be right about all of that. And I think that unfortunately, like as a pessimist, you need to be proven wrong a lot. You know what I mean? Like I'm I also am like, oh, our flight's going to be delayed. And usually it isn't. And so like I'm proven wrong plenty. And COVID was such a pessimistic period of time that i just kept being right about all this stuff and i that's not good for for pessimists so usually if i'm like mm, that's probably not gonna work out we're probably not, i'm not probably not gonna get that yeah. they, i get proven wrong you know and i think that's how pessimism pessimists get by but i think like i would like to be in a place where i always am like what if it works out let me let me try let me try really hard to make it work out you think you people know? are too optimistic or annoying because i'm a guy who is optimistic and sometimes like Dude, you're always looking at the positive. I'm like, no, for me, I'm not forcing myself to do that. It's just kind of the way you I are. tick, especially as I've gotten older. Why do I have to get so mad and upset and see a glass half empty now? Well, I love that. I, I, you know, to me, that's something that I have to sort of strive for and remind myself to do and practice at. So that, you know, that's kind of the premise of this record. And, you know, the other thing is, like, it's all about who you are, right? I mean, there's a song on this album about uh, an actor, musician, songwriter named Nick Cordero and his wife and their son, Elvis. And he uh, got COVID-19 right away, I think in March. I think maybe the end of March. Which song on the album? It's called What They'll Say About Us. Okay. And he he got COVID-19. He was like 41 or two, no pre-existing condition, super fit, um, and got it. And it did what it you know has done to so many people and it it killed him and um over a period a long period of time he was you know put on a ventilator and then he kind of had all of the all of the covid you know put on a ventilator and then blood clots started forming they had to amputate his leg and his lungs got destroyed and eventually he was he he he, it killed him you know that broke my heart and as a result of this story about this family because i started following his wife on instagram while he was still alive because she would sort of update every day and i just became kind of like emotionally bound to this family that i didn't know which to me is the the greatest thing that social media is able to do is is give us this kind of empathetic line toward people that we don't know otherwise you know what i mean i'm seeing these people like the same exact way i would see my close friend go through something horrible and I'm feeling the same way I would feel if it were my close friend and I've never met them. So I'm watching this family go through this thing. And there, you know, I, I, I never got to meet Nick, but it became clear that he was this amazing guy and incredibly talented. And you start watching old clips of his performances and you're just like blown away by this person. And this horrible thing happens, you know, for months, this is ongoing. He's in a coma, et cetera, et cetera. And he's, she's not even able to visit the hospital because of the nature of all of that. And he eventually died. It was it was horrible and heartbreaking. And I wrote this song sort of from her perspective of the whole thing. And the reason I bring all of this up is that she's a pretty optimistic person. And if there's any person I know who would have the sort of right to be pretty pessimistic about shit, it would be Amanda. Sure. Yeah. And she's not. And 
it would only make her life worse to be that way. So, you know, it's it's great that she is that optimistic and that positive and that kind as a person, you know. And it's super unfair that such a terrible thing happened to her and to her husband and to their child specifically. It's terrible. Um, but it hasn't made her pessimistic about the world. And that to me is like, well, then what excuse do I have for being pessimistic, you know? Is she aware that you've written the song? Yes, we, we, we've become fairly close. She's really wonderful. I sent her the song like a week before it came out and just said, listen, I sent it to her on Instagram. And I said, you know, my name is Phineas. You know, you may never have heard of me. All of this is fine. I wrote this song. I'm putting it out on Friday. It's about you and your husband and your child. You never need to listen to it. You, I'm not saying, can you promote it? <laughs> can you share it? Right. I just was saying, I wrote it about you. I needed you to know that. It's coming out on Friday. Again, no obligation. You never need to write back to this. You never need to listen to it, whatever. But it is about you. And, uh, and, and your names aren't in it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's all whatever. But I wrote it to her. And uh, <laughs> it said scene on Instagram. Like my message was like seen right. and I didn't hear back for like the week before the song came out. You and a little I'd anxiety sent, that even though was, you said you don't you don't need to write back. Terrified. Right. Cuz I was like sure, cuz I was like obviously like obviously I've just said I don't need to write back etc etc etc. But what I really hope doesn't happen is I really hope she doesn't hate the song or when feel more of a downward spiral. Feel annoyed after. that somebody who doesn't know her personally wrote this story, you know, any, any fear that I, you know, maybe I would feel whatever you can imagine. And what I think ended up happening was that somebody was helping her go through all of these DMS that was like on her team and saw it and maybe flagged it, but she hadn't listened to it ever. And it came out and sort of the day it came out, my like hearts in my throat. And I'm like, Oh my God, like what if she hates this song, whatever. And she reached out and was like, I just heard the song and, and was seemed to be moved by it. And that was great. And we've gotten yeah. to know her and Elvis a bit, but she's, uh, she's wonderful. Anyway, she's, um, you know, undeserving of such bad fortune. Yeah. Medieval is another song <laughs> that I love on your album, man. Do you have anxiety that at some point Phineas isn't going to be the in guy? He's not going to be the, the go-to producer and writer. And I mean, someday the people aren't going to want to work with you. Is that real? Is that a real thing for you? Well, that that's, uh, a foregone conclusion in my opinion and i what that song i'll address the song first and then we'll talk okay. about that to me that song is like less about that and more about like turning on the things we we grow up loving okay you know yes and i think it's more about like the people do it less it's less about becoming irrelevant and more about the wit like I don't know. There are there are artists that I loved. We we're just talking about the friends with benefits, whatever. There's there are musicians that I thought were so dope when I was thirteen that I've, you know, maligned privately since then. And that I don't know. Like, is it the way they carry themselves? Now, no, it's or was me it the growing. It's growing out of it. Okay. It's the it's it's to do with the audience, not to do with the artist. To me, it's to do with the sort of like thinking something is great and then outgrowing it and then really tossing it to the curb and not sort of having that kind of respect that you might want to pay an artist of like, hey, this was really important to me in my adolescence, you know? And we we seem to sort of be like circling back on a lot of like, you know, all-time low is huge again, which is huge. awesome. I think there's just this kind of cyclical nature, especially with really intense amounts of exposure and success where, you know, something is successful and and there's this group of people that love it and they become oversaturated with it and it becomes broader and wider. And this sort of base group of people that were at all your first shows go like, ah, not really into that anymore. I'm on to the next thing. And it's this kind of like casting out of, you know, things things we used to love. And I think that's part of the the sort of human experience. But it is a little weird that we kind of we build these these people up to this huge degree. They sell out an arena, whatever, and then right. three years later we're like I don't like they like can't that, get anyone yeah. to go to see them at the Roxy, and you say you don't like them, but there is a turn that's been happening with a lot of artists recently, and I'll just choose like a time span from like 1999 to 2005, a lot of bands- Coming back. They're like, oh my God, they're playing at Lollapalooza in front of 50,000 people, and people yep. are singing every single line of them. Six years yeah. ago, no one would even admit that they liked them at all. Yeah, and it's kind of like that kind of, it's like it's been long enough that it's come back 
like a right. wine or something. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, now it's 20 years old, so we can love it again. Yeah. But it's like right after it's the coolest ever, it's the least cool. And then if someday you're like, I actually loved that record. So to address popularity and whatnot, here are my thoughts on that personally. Nobody gets to be the, the number one forever. Most people don't ever get to be the number one once. I can't really believe I was like the number one songwriter producer for a time period, you know, in in whatever way you're measuring that by. If you're measuring that by like chart positioning or accolades Bruce or what have you. Yeah, whatever whatever measurement it is. What I'm not interested in or measuring my self-worth based off of is doing that every year. I don't think that's interesting. I don't think that's super realistic. And I don't need, like I was joking with them. Um, there's a, I'm acting like people don't know him. Dan Nigro is a friend of mine who's having like the biggest yes. year of anyone's career right now. I was with him the other night and I was like, you should, you should be producer of the year this year at the Grammys. That's, you know, that's my vote is, is you. And we were talking about Grammys or something and I forget what question he asked me, but I basically was like, oh yeah, I don't care anymore. And and he was like, why? And I was like, because I won them. <laughs> like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need to ever win another one. Do you one. mean that? Aren't you competitive with yourself? Not with other artists out there. Yeah, but I'm competitive with myself. But but then especially I don't care about beating another artist. at the. You know what I mean? I want to make the best album I've ever made for sure. I am into every one of these songs on this album. Thanks, man. I, have gone I, I love this album. And, and I hope Thank people you. have the patience to listen, as I said Thanks, at the man. top, to each word, you know, interpret however you want you. when you listen to it. But yeah, man, and I hope it gets recognized Thanks, in man. fifteen different ways. You're welcome. But yeah, I just have this feeling of like once you achieve some lifelong dream thing, and I, to be honest, the Grammys, as as amazing as it was, were so big that I never even put that on my list of you know that wasn't even on the bucket list. That just seemed like so far fetched. It seemed very gauche to think that I could yeah. even like so one day I win a Grammy like that seemed so crazy. <laughs> and and then I won a bunch of them. <laughs> like, I have like too many. <laughs> it's also mad. And <laughs> we should have put that on the one on the table here. And 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 I just think what what kind of a what kind of a psychology is it for me to want more? Do you know what I mean? That seems so incredibly sort of greedy and and like missing the point of the like that's like if your bucket list was like seeing the pyramids in egypt and then you went and saw the pyramids in egypt and you were like see them next year like you kind of have to be like i saw the i saw the thing i went to do it and i did it but phineas you go for the next whatever the pyramids are it's human nature doesn't mean you're a bad person like making the music i don't you know i have a question for you what i'm gonna play this answer at your 50th birthday Sure, go for it. I don't think we have that long as a species, personally. Like, I'll be in a bunker by the time I'm 50, probably, with, like, an oxygen not. tank. But I hope not. Listen, and, and I guess I'm saying all this to say that what I what I don't feel is dismissive or ungrateful for having achieved any of the things I've achieved. Yeah, I okay. just don't care about achieving them again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because you like, did it. You did it. Yeah, makes sense. It makes I sense. I got the t-shirt. Right. Like, I don't need, like now I'm, I care about different stuff. Well, like, that to me, leads to my about, question then. Well, go yeah, ahead. No, go ahead. What go was ahead. exciting about all that stuff was doing it for the first time. It was so fun and crazy. And now it's like doing other stuff. Like right now I'm working on some, like scoring some movies and that's crazy and exciting and interesting. And, you know, want to do some other stuff that I'm not super at liberty to talk about. But like, I, you know, I think well, it's hold really on, just Hold like, on one sec here. What do you mean you're not My point is just that it's like, I'm grateful and I'm very happy to to now sink into the quicksand of time and and I was the you know I was the producer of the month it was the flavor of the month and that's really cool that's and I get to have this big long career because of it that's you know right I mean? we're not we're not that's going right. anywhere no. and make no mistake I don't want to not have a career I don't want to not be able to play shows and sell them out and put out albums and have people listen to them I just don't care about being number one gotcha yeah Rick Rubin as a producer as he has gotten older and has always been awesome whether it was Beastie Boys early yes. on and a lot of hip hop and then goes to like Red Hot Chili Peppers and System of a Down yeah. and then into Neil Diamond and Johnny Cash, which is unbelievable. 
at 50, what do you like? What do you want to do at 50? Do you think is it putting out new Phineas records? Is it kind of following the lead that he's doing, where you kind of pick and choose new artists, established ones, Hall of Famers? Man, you know, I think there's a lot of good careers at 50, and I'd be uh, I'd be lucky to do a lot. I'd be lucky to still be doing what I'm doing. I'd be very lucky to do that. I think you know, I I really would love to have children and be a really good dad and. Mm. My assumption, if, if my life continues to 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 work out how I want it, is that I'll be my career focus will be back burner to you know being a good parent at that point in my life. That's my personal feeling. Do you want more than one child? Do you want I'd two? Like two. That would be the fantasy. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think within that, obviously, you're, you know, you don't have to do one thing in your life. So. You know, if I got to continue to be involved in music, I, I love music. So I'll always be sitting at a piano and writing songs, you know, regardless of who's listening to them. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm already turning my eye toward, you know, kids who are putting out their first EP and being inspired by them and being excited by them. And not even necessarily in arenas where I'm like working on it. I'm just, that's, you know, what I'm paying attention to more and more is like, I love this girl, Lexi Jade. It's like opening for Adam Melcher on tour right now. She's really, really good. Nessa Barrett is great. Great. Um, treat to watch Gracie Abrams' career take off right now. And, you know, so I think it's, I already have that feeling of like turning, turning around and looking toward artists who are just at the beginning of their probably super long, successful careers. And, and what is it about any artist? But let's speak to, artists who are i don't know six months to two years into their career mm. what is it about them that you get excited about um well generally the thing about an artist that i'm excited about is when they're doing something that feels creative and inventive and i think like that's sort of a prerequisite of of having a career right as you start off with something that's like oh i haven't heard that before i think pink pantherist is like doing a thing right mm. now that we're all like what is that that's very new and cool like lexi's music I, like you know these these artists can all do whatever they want but lexi's music has this super like nostalgic thing to me it like reminds me of like sixpence none the richer yeah. and shit like that which yes. i grew up loving yes so it's really scratching an itch for me and she's got a great voice and there's this real vulnerability to her music so you know it's it's connection right it's like that's what predicates an artist's career beginning is connecting somehow and um i just find it really interesting and fascinating uh, you have not been afraid at all, and I commend you so much on this, of speaking up in what you believe is right. <laughs> and you're always on the right side of history, it seems like to me. And I follow you early. I'm like, damn, Phineas is speaking up. Why the hell can't I say something? Is that something you had to build to, or you've always been like that? I've always been like that. Uh, I think in my younger life, I maybe felt like I didn't have a platform. I was always doing it, but it always felt a little futile. You know what I mean? I was like... The most powerful I felt was like attending a march or something. And now I have this big microphone and I have the ability to fiscally contribute to organizations that are doing more good work than I am and help fund them. And so that's great. That's a real luxury and a real honor. But yeah, I mean, it always has felt like, you know, ridiculous not to. And uh, I feel sorry for people who I am friends with, who I know feel sort of somehow trapped by the demographic that they're preaching to like the people that we're making music for or 75 percent of them are people whose beliefs and morals are aligned with mine right and so right. i'm not right. putting my career on the line by saying all of this right if anything i'm probably putting my career on the line by not by being silent you know i have like a you know we have this audience of kids that are incredibly progressive and i love that and uh that to me is really the the area where I I can't commend myself as much as I think artists in years past could because I don't feel that I'm risking much. Because, by doing as this. you said, potentially up to seventy five percent. I don't want maybe. a bunch of fucking like, homophobic <laughs> racists at my shows. I don't want them. You don't? No, and they're not coming anyway. <laughs> like they read they read about me. They're not coming. Yeah. And uh, there are people who just sort of by accident have these are are progressive you know, people and have people at their shows who that takes way more risk than what I'm doing. I believe, and I think most people, I don't know if they believe this way, but to be really, really successful in any field, you also have to be selfish. <laughs> you, you do. I'm not saying you have to be a jerk to people, but 
Yeah. If you're trying to get to a certain place, yeah. it's like, hold on, I can't go to this baseball game with you. Or I can't <laughs> go to this because I have to do this. Yes. But you, it feels like yeah. to me, Phineas, when it comes to your career with your sister, Billy, yeah. you are totally selfless. <laughs> You were, I mean, you, does that, I have eight Grammys, <laughs> like, no, like, but no, I benefited plenty. I've seen a lot. I, I not that I'm like 80 <laughs> years old, but people where it's like, they get this weird feeling inside that they need to make more noise than the person they're working oh, with and not just yeah. able to see the whole big picture. Like, yeah. oh, everything's okay. Yeah. Huh. Well, I love Billy. So, you know, and I love her the way you only love your family. Like I think I don't think there's that many parents that don't want to see their kid reach higher than they did, and I feel that way about my sister, you know. Wow. And I think you know I'm not selfless in all avenues for sure, and I've been at at Billy's side every step of the way, and I'm I'm certain that if I were uninvolved in her career and trying to have my career as well, yes, I'd be envious, you know. I'd think, wow, what a I'm jealous. She can. She can look at look at how successful her stuff is, but I'm involved in her stuff, you know, and so right. that that to me is where the I think it would be unrealistic for me to imagine that like if I were just having my solo career and she were having her solo career and we weren't working on either of each other's that I wouldn't be like, damn, hers is going very well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I'm you know I'm there I'm involved, and then within that obviously I don't really have any feeling of competition at all. You know, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that is. Do you think there's going to be a time where she says to you, I'm, make, I'm making a record without you? That's right. Um, I don't know. We, uh, here's what I think I don't think I'm ever going to not make the album with her that she wants to make. And so I don't think there would be. That would be, and that comes from like the lack of ego I have in making music with her now. I maybe didn't when we started because I was young and, and sort of scared. I think I wanted, I just wanted to prove, prove ourselves, prove myself. You know, I was sort of strong-willed and kind of like, I think it should be this way. And I don't really have any ego with that anymore because again, we kind of did it. So I, I, right. it's not important. But yeah, I'm. If I brought a lot of ego into these sessions every time. She'd probably get bored of that and someday go like, oh, I don't want to work with this person anymore which is what happens with every other artist you know you see you see all these artists specifically sort of like we're we're in this era which is like the artist duo with the producer collaborator that's kind of like what's happening in music right now and it's a good system i mean to name a few right like on the bigger side you've got you know you've got jack antonoff who's filling that role with so many wonderful yes, artists he he's doing claro and saint vincent and lord and um taylor and lana and then you know if you go down to the sort of like newer artist pairings you've got like remy wolf which is you know paired with solomon you've got you know my friend marinelli with with wallace or with spill tab that's the trend right now and i think usually somewhere along the line if especially if they're coming up together both people's ego gets involved and i feel like with billy and me like it's her name and i ha i mean part of the reason i make music under my own name is is to have a an identity separate from it. I think I think I would have more ego in her music if I weren't also an artist. Do you know what I mean? Yes, makes I'd total have sense. I'd have a feeling of like trying to express my whole self when really it's like it's her project. When we sit in a room, we're talking about how she's feeling. We're writing about how she's feeling. I'm trying to help her articulate her feelings. So to that end, you know, I'm always going to try to make yeah. whatever she wants to make, right. and hopefully that's enough, and I don't get fired. <laughs> maybe hopefully not happening soon big egos in a room what was it like Hans Zimmer then Johnny Marr from the Smiths this guy is one of the best I don't even if you don't know who Johnny Marr is please google Johnny Marr right now no ego so crazy you got these incredibly successful young artists yeah. you and your sister and then you're going with Hans Zimmer scoring movies no John, what was it like for the 007 soundtrack stuff you guys did then, so so to to do the brief recap on that experience, it was a fantasy of ours always to do a Bond theme. Yep. After Billy's debut album came out and did really well, we had a conversation with our team of like, what what's what are goals here? What are we what what's next? And Billy and I said, sort of in unison, we'd love to do a Bond theme. Is there anyone we can meet with? You know, we met with the people at MGM. They were incredibly kind. We met with Barbara. She came out to see. We this was like sort of a happy accident. She wanted to come see a show and came to like our 
our best show ever. Like came to see us play this festival in Ireland okay. where like it was it was off the chain. Like it was cr- I don't like she must have left thinking like this is the biggest artist in the world. You know what I mean? It was like it was crazy. And that was just by accident. That was the show she could come to. Right. And she gave us the first 20 pages of the script to read and said, you know, you can base the song off of that if you want and it was always an audition it was not you know and it was it was us auditioning it was us saying we'd love we'd love to do this it was not them going would you like to do this and we were in texas two years ago right now doing acl there was sort of a kind of i don't know how this got communicated to us but it was production was wrapping up and there was this kind of like now's the time to write the song you don't have another six months if you want to write a song it's now you think they were looking at other artists for audition i know i know oh, they were really okay at other artists. All right. yeah oh my God. other artists wrote wrote songs i've heard a couple of them whoa and um i did i purposefully didn't until the movie until it was like all see i'd you know in the writing process i'm like, not gonna right. listen to the other one <laughs> um anyway we wrote this song we recorded it it's it's all in the doc we recorded it in this tour bus in texas and they liked it, but it was not a done deal. It was not a sure thing. And then Hans Zimmer came on board to do the film. That would like he was not attached yet and came on board. And I started getting calls from him that were like, Hello, this is Hans. This is Phineas. And it was always from a blocked number. I couldn't even call him <laughs> back. His rotary phone at home. It was cr- I was like, What? Like I I couldn't even if I missed his call, I'd have to like text like someone on my team, like, I missed the call. Can you have him call me again? I couldn't even call back. He was so cool. Yeah. He, he, he said, you have to see the movie. You have to know how it fits into the movie. You have to see the rest of it. And you, and we need to, we need to work on the orchestra in person. And we were like, okay. It was like the week of Christmas. It was all crazy. He said, you guys got to fly out to London. We got to record all the strings here. We said, okay. And I remember being on that flight and just thinking like, what is this going to be like? Hans is so overqualified. Right. And we're like green. You know what I mean? Like we've never... Like we've never done anything to picture ever, except like an Apple commercial a couple years ago, which was really fun. But I, I was very prepared for him to sit us down and be like, "You guys don't know anything. I know everything. I've done every good movie ever. Here's what we're gonna do." And we sat down with him and Stephen Lipson and Johnny Marr and a couple other of his sort of incredibly talented posse. They all were like, "What should we do?" Like there was this super collaborative. You know, and it wasn't just from him to us. It was it was everyone to everyone. And when someone did feel strongly about something, everybody listened to it and respected it. You know, Stephen Lipson is a very funny, opinionated guy. And we'd be like working on the orchestration. He'd be like, no, no, this is all wrong. This is so, this is terrible. And we'd all sort of listen to him. And he'd, he, usually he'd be right, you know. And it was just the best lesson in how you can be in that place in your career, mm. you know. And there's... A lot of people get, you know, are off the hook based off of stature, you know. Oh, well, he's kind of an asshole, but he's the biggest in the world. And I was like, this is the biggest in, like, this guy is, this is our guy. This is like the John Williams of this era of music. Like, he had Dune and No Time to Die coming out at the same time. He did all of the Nolan batman superhero scores he did an inception he did dunkirk he did you know gladiator with ridley scott he he did boss baby like that dude is like doing everything it's crazy and they're all good and And they're uh, looking at you and they i assume like the way that you make music and in this time so cool i don't know i've you know now we've i've seen him interact with a lot of people and he's nice to everybody we were i remember sitting up in the pews above the floor of the orchestra room in air studios in london and he like knew every player in his orchestra and was walking around and asking all of them about their families and it was like that is the way to be as a guy he's just really inspiring so and there's so much to get to we're already like 45 minutes i know i mean speaking of being a good guy at the most recent acl festival yes you donated your paycheck paycheck yeah to planned parenthood yeah i mean we all know what is going on in texas and how that's pretty stupid very 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 stupid um is that something that you thought of as you were flying there that you were going to do that and did people know you that that was going to happen um i i told the team that i wanted to talk about it um and so i we had a graphic that had some some numbers you could call and some websites you could go to because i i think to me it's it's always less about 
proving that I'm a good guy and more about empowering people, you know, like I'd, I'd rather leave that and make the whatever number of people in the audience feel like they could go and make a change themselves a little bit, you know, than be like, I'm, it's a little, you know, they all whooped, but it always feels a little goofy when it like a rich person is like, I'm, I'm rich. I'm going to donate some money to this thing. I remember seeing a thing during. I don't know, man. I, I'm not trying to like say I, I, you're wrong on that. But when I see somebody who yeah. has the means that donates, I think, wow, that's awesome. Good. I saw a Good thing. for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to me, it's as important to shed light on that as it is to make a whatever you, you want to say. But I remember seeing a thing last summer during the George Floyd protest that was like any of you. I don't remember the wording, but it was like anyone who's broke, who donated 20 bucks to a GoFundMe has committed an infinitely higher percentage of their salary than any of these billionaire goons at this tech company, you know? And to me, that was like, that really hit home. You know, I remember talking about, I won't name this person, but I was talking to somebody about basically what percentage of my kind of earnings I donate sort of always, what percentage gets carved off. And they were like, do you want to start with 1%? And I was like, no, like, that's a very low percentage. And they were like, that's pretty much the highest wow. of this. Demo. And I was like, well, what? I was like, that's crazy because I've never made this much money and I've always donated, donated more than one. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I've never been more financially safe than I am now. And back when I, we were really not secure financially, I was donating more than this. So, you know, that was just not acceptable to me. Phineas, you inspire me so much in your, I I think I'm old enough to be your old uncle, maybe (laughs) even your dad, but like, honestly, the way you conduct yourself both on stage and off and when the cameras aren't rolling, it's like, I'm sitting here very, very inspired. Thanks, man. I mean, listen, it's really cool to be here with you. I, 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 you know, I was grew up in Los Angeles, grew up listening to your show and, um, being very excited to check out interviews with artists I'd heard of and artists I hadn't with you. So it's a treat to be here, man. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. Before we get you out of here, uh-huh. when you're speaking of love and relationship yeah. and fighting on your album, yeah. do you ever are like, oh no, how is this going to fly with my partner? Yeah, of course. And so how do you just like, it's it's art, this is what it is. Do you tell her not to listen? What is it like? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I can answer with this specific album that the sort of most specific song on this record about my relationship is love is pain. I mean, in one way, the the sort of most explicit song is is uh, around my neck. But love is pain to me was uh, it's not that that stuff didn't happen in my relationship. It did. You know, the, the, there's lines about like getting into bed together after you've argued. Right. In the you should mention a dream about a mom and dad. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the relationship stuff of like you know saying something you regret after because you got jealous of somebody, whatever. Like, doesn't everybody? These are things that I'm not. Pr- I'm not proud to be talking about. You know having an argument with my partner, but also like we communicate pretty healthily. And, and when we are arguing, it's about, you know, we're not calling each other names. We're tar- talking about how we feel and we're talking yeah, about yeah. why we feel how we feel. And I just figured with songs like that, it was probably going to translate. It's probably going to make other people feel seen, you know. And you sing in a way that very much resonates to anybody that is listening to the song. Thanks. And it's come, it, it's, it's a, it's funny. I've never written a song like that. I've never quite, all, all the songs I've ever written about heartbreak are like, it's over or it's about to be over or whatever. And that song is about heartbreak within a healthy, successful relationship. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is to me, like a thing that is not really talked about in music or in film or television. Like there's very rarely a movie about a, a challenging relationship that works out. It's usually about the very beginning of a relationship, yes. the challenges at the beginning or the challenges of the end <laughs> exactly or somebody right. dies. And to me, I'm like, dude, it's hard enough to just maintain a relationship and be a person who gets their feelings hurt accidentally by something that somebody worded poorly and say that. And then you feel vulnerable and stupid. And the other person gets defensive and they, then they bring up something. You, It's just like, that's the way all relationships are. Yeah. So I felt it was important to say. Around my neck, the song you brought up is that the last song on the. No, it's a third, second. Third, third, third to last. last. That for some reason, Phineas. It's a fun one. It triggers me <laughs> into this old self I used to be late at night coming yeah. home, yeah, not doing the greatest of things, and Ooh. that song makes me. I don't know if it's <laughs> lyrics or the music behind it. 
I wanted to just go a little nuts after while nice. while listening nice. to it. It's so fun live. I've been. It's not <laughs> out yet. Well, it's out today, but it, I haven't. I've been doing it at these pre-release shows. It's yeah, so fun. Really can you just give me a tidbit so next time I listen to yeah. it, I can think of, oh, Phineas told me this about the song. Uh, well, I did. Uh, okay, this is the most bland tidbit I could give, but it's the tr- it's the <laughs> okay. truth. The, everything came from the instrumental, and the instrumental came from a dope synthesizer called an AX60, um, which is a, a old vintage Akai synthesizer. And it was just that like, boom, 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 boom. And it just felt really sexy to me. And then I had played the drums and then wrote everything. It was all just sort of inspired by itself, even though it's like factual, but yeah. it, it was all kind of like, Ooh, this is like a fun, saucy instrumental. So that was really what it all stemmed from. Cool, man. All right. We're going to let you go. You've been here. You give me way too much time in Thanks my house. Thanks for having me, Ted. You're welcome. And by the way, you have permission to go through any drawer I have in this house. <laughs> I'm not saying you can take anything, <laughs> but I want you to treat it like it was the house you grew up in. You can just go through anything. You know what I've never said to anyone who's been in my house? What? I want you to treat it like it was the house you grew up in. That's <laughs> I crazy. I don't even know what that means, but I, you, do you can have, do it. Do you have anything you value in this house? How can you say that with such frivolity? That like, Because I'll, I'll, I'll call your bluff. I'll take some. Please. Please. You have nice paintings in the living room. Thank you Not very that much. Tiger one. But you have other super <laughs> nice paintings in the living room. <laughs> I love you. He's Phineas. The album is Optimist. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, bro. Of course. Where's the bathroom? That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, before you go, if you're still right there, I cannot thank you enough for giving me a chance and listening to this podcast. It's a one-person operation. It's not a big company. There's no company behind me. This this is all me. I'm doing everything for the show, from the booking of the guests to all the editing. I tinker way, 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 way too much. Thank you to Phineas. What an impressive dude he is. All right, Ted Stryker, Instagram, Tuna on Toast. You can watch my YouTube channel. Every interview is up on YouTube. Tuna on Toast with Stryker. So easy to find. Spread the word again. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate everything. We'll see you on the next one. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye.